1994. Something else that's been notable from tape collectors about Jim Cornette is the Dairy Queen incident. Uh, we can't go through this entire show without talking about this. When I first got into tape collecting in 1997. Is that a real thing? What? Collecting tape. Yeah. Like Scotch tape, duct tape. What's your favorite tape? The type that goes over your fucking mouth. That's just rude. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going, you know what? I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm going to I, Orlando. I'm done with you. I'm going to be quiet. I had a really good joke there, but <laughs> I'm keep that to myself. Uh, catch me up. I'm going to make an impact. The Dairy, Qu- the Dairy Queen tape. Yeah. Uh, we fans heard about it, and it became this thing that everybody wanted to go out of their way to see. And our video made a fucking mint back in the day just based on this one scene. Uh, tell us about this tape, and then maybe try to recreate it a little bit in your very best Upset and angry Jim Cornette. You know, I I heard the story first about Jimmy going off at the Dairy Queen. And then I heard that there was actually a tape that existed. And I'm trying to remember the guy's name that recorded it. But uh, Chris Candido and Tammy were in the car. Um God damn, what's the guy's name in California? But he, he recorded it, and then they, they recorded the, the They went to the Dairy Queen. Cornette ordered. Jericho's in the car, I think. I don't know if Jericho was in the car or not. He may have been. I, I, I don't really remember. But I, I remember hearing the story of Cornette ordering and Jim Cornette order. Now, if you've ever actually heard Jim Cornette order something, especially in the day when, when he didn't eat the healthiest of, uh, of meals, it sounded, it sounded ridiculous. Oh, goddamn triple, triple cheese, extra cheese, double mayo, double onion, motherfucker. And, and I kid you not, there, there were times when he would order, he would throw in a motherfucker from here, you know, now and then. So they make this order. There's five or six people in this van or this car, and they make this ridiculous order, and they get up to the, to the window and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're now, waiting. Now this is worth mentioning. This is after a show. It's late, late at night and they got a hundreds van. of miles to drive to get home. And a van full of wrestlers who are hungry. Who are hungry. So they place a ridiculous order. And the only thing open is Dairy Queen. Is Dairy Queen. So it's yeah. They're they're they want to get their food and they want to get the fuck on the road. So they're waiting at the window, and they're waiting at the window, and the girl comes over to the window, and she's like, yeah. And she says, where's our goddamn order? And she says something along the lines of, oh, I thought you guys were kidding. Which Cornette, who I guess was in the passenger seat, gets out uh, and starts cutting a promo on this poor little girl in the Dairy Queen thing, gets out of the car, walks around the front, of the car to go to the window and just cut a ungodly promo on this woman. Think I'm kidding, motherfucker. I got 300 fucking miles to drive. God damn it. I want a fucking triple cheese, triple fucking hamburger, goddamn extra, double mayonnaise. What the fuck you think we're ordering this shit? It just goes absolutely berserk. And whoever's in the car there, they tape this entire thing. Well, I heard about the promo first. And then someone says, oh, yeah, it's on tape. I was, oh, my God, you got to give me that tape. 
And already at that time, long before RF video and those guys got a hold of it, man, I had that tape sent to me that they were already making copies and sending out this copy of all you've got to see Cornette's rant. So it was, it was just legendary and and you got to check it out. The Jim Cornette, the Dairy Queen rant is priceless. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. I knew it. I love when he does that. Well, once you hit rock bottom, the only way to go is up. So, so good luck. Okay. Good luck. You say rock bottom, but like, it just seems like things keep getting worse. What What is rock bottom? Who decides what's the bottom of all this? I mean, seriously, you go, okay, today is Friday, and I woke up in Cleveland, and I'm going, how much worse can it get? Don't pound me down, you piece of shit! Shut your mouth! Look at me, Tony. Look at me. I want you to fire me. You fucking mark! Fire me! Fire me! How you think they gonna feel when they introduce your boys as the new WWE undisputed tag team champion? I don't know who's they might be cheering. Yeah, they might be booing. Yeah, little kids might be crying. Oh yeah, we got grown men out there crying. Yeah, but they still might be hating on the Uso, hating on us. Why? Because we went out there and did what we said we was going to do. Yeet. Buffalo, all your babbling is interfering with my machine. So for the next few minutes, please just do me a favor and kindly shoot. Seems like yesterday. It was long ago Jane, it was lovely She was a queen of my night There in the darkness With the radio Playing low end And the secrets that we shared Mountains that we moved Caught like a wildfire Out of control Till there was nothing left to burn And nothing left to prove I 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 318 of the Hoops Podcast. It's July 14th, 2022, as I'm recording live here in my Good Brother studio in lovely Chicago, Illinois. Hope you guys are having a wonderful week so far. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, if you'd like, at Josh Lopez Media. Make sure to bookmark ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. I think it's very vital for you guys to make sure to bookmark the site this month uh, in the next coming weeks because um, starting on Saturday, we got the beginning of New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 Climax uh, Tournament, and I'm going to be pretty excited to cover it for you guys, and it'll, it'll be exclusive coverage on the website. Um, uh, I talked about my, my budget cut deal 
that happened last week, unfortunately, but they'll make the best out of it. And uh, you guys will get the transcript, but it's not where I usually do share transcripts from. So <laughs> you'll get it on my own website and um, it, I'm making damn sure that I'm going to provide the best G1 transcripts in the business uh, this year. And this is my sixth time covering the G1, and I'm very excited uh, for this weekend, uh, sun, Saturday and Sunday, in you know, uh, Sapporo, and it should be a lot of fun. And we'll break all that down in all the scenarios and what I think could happen and how the blocks will fare out. But I'm just really excited because not only is it one of the busiest time of the years, but it's always one of the funnest part of the years of just what the concept of the G1 is and what it brings to the table to professional wrestling. And I do appreciate um, this time of the year because it's always fun because you got SummerSlam in a few weeks coming up and uh, the car looks really good. And we'll get to that a little bit more in this week at WWE. Of course, the never-ending uh, traveling circus, otherwise known as All Elite Wrestling. And um, I got interesting questions that I should pose to you guys about AW when we get to our flagship <laughs> flagship uh, uh, segment this week. And um, I, I want to thank all of you who've been uh, checking out the podcast recently. Uh, I've been I've been seeing the numbers, and you guys have been doing a great job checking out the show. Um, all I ever ask for anybody that listens or watches the Hoots podcast to um, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and let us know what you like or dislike about the podcast. And as you're listening to this this weekend, I'll put it in the description as well of the podcast two questions this week I want you to answer. One, what match are you currently looking forward to the most? at SummerSlam, and secondly, who do you have winning the G1 Climax Tournament this year? Those two questions I want to see in the comment section, or you can respond to me when I post the show on Twitter or Facebook, and um, I'd love to see your responses. Maybe I'll read some of them on air next week. But um, yeah, we got a lot to get into. Um, we got some questions to answer in the uh, Good Brothers Q&A session, as we usually do here on the podcast. I want to give a big shout-out to uh, Bob Seeger for uh, Against the Wind, which is this week's um, intro song. I wanted to change it up a little bit. I think you guys know by now that my music taste uh, varies, and it's all over the place. But I have very good musical taste, and um, just throw a little mucky wrench to like some of the more modern stuff I've been playing recently. And um, this that was a fun song to listen to. Um, I am a product of uh, a 70s, 80s classic rock mark in my grandfather and uh, a guy who owns a guitar shop and the guy who taught me how to play guitar. So uh, anything from Tom Petty, ELO, Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, you can hear any of those songs in the coming weeks on the Hoots podcast. And I, I just... Um, I, I like sharing um, the songs in the, in the audio version just to get you in the mood um, to listen to the podcast. And I, I want this podcast to make you feel like it's a good listen to when you're driving to work or you're on you're going out somewhere with your family out of town or 
you know, you need a clear head or, you know, stuff like that. I, I, there's a lot of people that drive at night and just need to clear their head from things and stuff like that. That's cool. Um, so it, anywhere you listen to podcasts, even if you're just listening in your backyard, whenever the time of day you listen to the podcast, I want this to have that feel like I'm sitting next to you and we're shooting the shit and we're driving down the road. We listen to good music. We talk. Uh, we have some real conversations and real dialogue. And we just have a good time. And if I could make your day better, if I could make you, if I could make you laugh, if I could make you think, and you know, we could um, resonate with each other, I think that's the ultimate goal of this podcast. And um, I just want to say thank you for the support. And whether you listen to the show for thirty seconds or the entire show, I do appreciate you checking out Hoops Podcast. So let's get let's get this bad boy on the road, shall we? I'll start off with the Good Brothers Q&A session as we usually do on the podcast. If you want to ask me a question, all you have to do is send me a question at Josh Lopez Media or the Hoots Podcast at gmail.com. All right, let's start it off with the Good Brother Chris Letta at xteensletta24x on Twitter. He says, what up, Oops? Here's some questions for the Q&A this week. Thoughts on Kenosuke Takeshita? Um, I like... Kenosi to catch them. I am impressed from what I've seen in the, in the matches he has done in AW. However, uh, I'm kind of getting tired of having him being shoved down my throat. And yeah, it's cool that you want to spotlight other international talents from other promotions here and there, but I don't know. It's like one week he's just a regular guy, and then the next week he's being hyped up as the next Shawn Michaels, or I saw somebody comparing him to Okada this week, and Ibushi, and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, let's let's pump the brakes on that a little bit. Uh, don't get me wrong, I, I, I like his wrestling style, but he also comes off very generic, too. I haven't had really a reason to, res- uh, uh, to connect with him on a uh, character point of view. Um, it seems like a generic guy. Um, and the fact that they're giving him so much TV real estate when he's not going to be a long-term fixture of the promotion, I just don't understand that. All props to him. He's getting a lot of buzz from wrestling Twitter. But, uh, again, I like to remind everybody that when it comes to seeking out opinions and what your outlook is on professional wrestling, I say that wrestling Twitter is the last place I would go to for that. Um, so again, I, I I thought he carried himself well in this match last night uh, against uh, Jay Cutler Moxley, but outside of that, Chris, um, I need to see more. I'm not that impressed to be honest with you. Um, who will be in the final four of the G1 this year? Well, uh, I I'll explain more why when we get to our preview, but. Um, I got Okada coming out of the A block, Ishii coming out of the B block. I have Naito coming out of the C block, and then I got Shingo Takagi coming out of the D block. So, uh, again, I'll explain more in depth about what's going on with the G1 and stuff like that later on in the podcast. But my final four is uh, Okada, Ishii, Naito, and Shingo Takagi. All right. Is Steph Curry ahead of LeBron as one of the best of all time? I, I don't really know. I mean, I 
I respect what Seth Curry does. I think maybe he's more influential to today's game than LeBron James was in his era. But you also have guys, we're, talk, we're comparing to guys who've also lost multiple NBA finals and multiple NBA finals appearances. Like, I don't think, I can't put somebody above another performer, uh, in front of another basketball player. Uh, in this case, when we're talking about the NBA sometimes, because for me, I'm not really into the whole participation trophies. You know what made Michael Jordan the GOAT and why LeBron will never sniff Michael Jordan's status? It's because of the fact that Michael never lost in the finals. And it never got to the point where the finals got to game seven. But when I, I when I have when I have the conversation for Steph Curry who lost and gave him a lead to the Cleveland Cavaliers and lost to the Toronto Raptors in the finals, and then Alfred James and how many times he's lost the NBA final. I can't I think they're at the same point. I can't say that Steph Curry is a greater all-time player than LeBron. I can't say I can't say that Steph is a more influential player than what LeBron has brought to basketball in the last 20 years. But outside of that, I can't really put one over the other because they're kind of in the same boat in my way when it comes to Championships and long-term legacy. Um, let's see. Will Cameron Grimes be on the main roster after Tuesday and join Maximum Male Models on SmackDown? Maybe. Um, maybe. Uh, I don't know if he fits that group. I, I know he wears suits and stuff here and there on NXT, but I don't think that's just a. Uh, a reasoning of why he would be on maximum male models. By the way, I, I do enjoy that group. Um, <laughs> Eli Drake, whatever you want to call him, LA Knight, Max Dupree. Uh, that guy is entertaining as shit, and he makes anything work in wrestling. And um, pretty cool dude. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm really enjoying their stick right now. But as far as Cameron Grimes is concerned, uh, yeah, maybe that's an assumption that he would join that group because he wears suits and ties sometimes here and there. But we'll have to see. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really convinced yet. Maybe something where Cameron would try to convince Max Dupree uh, to join the group. They have history with each other. They have feuded in the past, so that'd be a nice tie-in. But I, I just don't see it happen anytime soon. Um, thoughts on Keith Lee and Swerve's win last night? Um. Chris, make sure to tune in to What the Hell is Wrong AW. I'll tell you there. All right, last question for Chris here. He says, dots on Core Jade's turn. Was it the right time to do it with them as tag team champions? Um, when you ever, when you ever get to a point where you say it's the wrong time, it's usually the right time. And then I can flip the script. Whenever you say it's the right time, it's the wrong time. For example, Daniel Bryan, Royal Rumble, 2014, everybody's like, oh, Daniel Bryan had to win the Royal Rumble. He still found his way to close out WrestleMania with the two titles. Because Daniel Bryan did not win the Royal Rumble doesn't mean that was the wrong decision. You know, we can flip this scenario with anything that's happened in wrestling history. More times than not. When you think it's the right time to do something or wrong time, it's usually the other way around. I don't think, um, as I look into this question, uh, 
I don't think it's the wrong time for Cora to change and have the heel turn because there's been hints about it going into them uh, winning the tag titles last week. I was kind of surprised that they did because there's has been hints. And whenever you like hear over-exaggeration and emphasis on them being best friends and sisters and stuff like that, Usually, sooner or later, you're going to know a heel turn is going to come around. And just from the vibe that I get from Cora Jade, she's probably a heel, a natural heel. So I was not shocked one bit that she made the turn on Tuesday, nor do I think it's a bad thing either because I got people talking. And um, I got another question about the women's tag team titles. I'll get to that uh, in a couple seconds. But I don't think it's the wrong time. We'll find out uh, as the weeks go by if it was the right decision. But from what I see right now, Chris, I I, I don't have a problem with it. And good for Cora because I think she could be a natural heel. Uh, she's got the looks. And the best thing going for her right now is that she has a open canvas. She's barely 21 years old. She has an open wide road right in front of her. And let's see how she wants to write her story. And let's see how it goes from there. So, some good questions there, Chris, as always. I appreciate you as always, buddy. Um, all right. Next question comes from my guy, Michael Rubio, down, down in Houston, Texas. Make sure to follow him at Twitter at Main Event Swerve if you like. As I take a swig of water there. Uh, here's Mike's questions for uh, this week. As I was mentioning, the Cora J situation. Were you surprised to see Cora J turn on Roxanne Perez so quickly, especially being the current tag champions? What happens to the tag titles going forward? Well, um, I probably could see Toxic and Trash again, the titles back soon. Um, I mean, you could have possibly, you could do a scenario where you have um, Casey and Katana. Um, formerly uh, Casey Kazar, they could finally probably get their chance at tag team titles. Maybe Ivy Nile and Taven Paxley could go after the tag titles. Uh, you still have Ulisa Leon and Valentina Royce. Um, you have options, but my overall feelings on women's tag team titles, and as we're still dealing with the malcontent Sasha, uh, Sasha Banks and uh, Naomi to walk out, um, my overall thoughts has been consistent for many years before Sasha Banks wanted to make everything about herself and be a supposed martyr. Um, basically, uh, the tag team titles, the concept of women's tag team titles are useless unless you're going to have a all-women's weekly television show where you have the emphasis on it. And that's the thing. When you get to the point where, you know, we get on these shows that we're going to be talking about women not getting enough spotlight in WWE or AEW, Impact finds a way to spotlight the talents, their women's talents, consistently on a weekly basis. I don't think, I'm not alone in saying that Impact Wrestling does not get uh, credit where it's due with how they handle the women's division. They do a fantastic job with that each week. And for many, many years, um, um, Mike, as I look at this situation when it comes to women's uh, tag titles and stuff like that, I just don't feel it's necessary if unless you're going to do an all-women show. 
And that's the thing. When we get to where it's a fan base where we can accept that there's a all-women's show weekly, but you don't see them on Raw or SmackDown every week. And then you get to those complaints. Oh, Raw and SmackDown are sexist because there's not enough women matches and stuff like that. Well, you got your all-women's show. You you have your women's uh, whatever mid-card title. You have your women's tag team title. You have the set women's main titles from both brands. I I just think with how WWE is structured right now, you cannot have a women's tag team division. I don't care if it's NXT or Raw or SmackDown, unless you have enough depth to justify uh, to justify it. So I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I mentioned a couple other teams that are still left in NXT 2.0, but. Honestly, I just think the concept of women's tag team titles, uh, especially WWE, is not useful unless it's going to be a all-exclusive, all-women's brand. And I don't think people would have a problem with that if that was the case, if they had like a one-hour exclusive show that they air on Peacock every week with the women. But I'm an advocate for women's wrestling, but I'm also an advocate for good women's wrestling, too. I don't think we need... We need just to drop a bunch of titles just to satiate a bunch of egos, you know? <laughs> and it's, just, it's funny to me when I hear people say, oh, Sasha Banks is such a role model for stepping up for women's tag team wrestling. Sasha Banks only uh, puts her foot on the ground when it only benefits her. So let's not fool, let's not fool ourselves, okay? Next question. Who do you think takes the NXT Championship for Braun Breaker and when? Does he hold it until the WrestleMania weekend event? Um, I can see I can see Apollo Crews getting a title for him, or I can see Santos Escobar or Tony D'Angelo get the title off of Braun Breaker. Um, yeah, he's probably not going to have the longest stay in NXT, but I'm not necessarily rushing for him to come up to Raw or SmackDown either. And whenever that time comes, it'll come. But if I have to say off the top of my head, it's either Apollo Crews, uh, Tony D'Angelo, Carmelo Hayes, or Santos Escobar would be the ones that I think would take the title off him. All right, next question. With Illinois being a legal gambling state, do you ever do DraftKings paid wages in other gambling like that? Uh, I know that's a new thing in Chicago, and um, the city finally woke up and approved that. Um, no, I'm not really a big gambler, Mike. Unfortunately, I, I don't do DraftKings. I never done that. Uh, I don't do FanDuel either. Um, so I'm, I'm the last person to ask for gambling advice. Uh, but yeah, it, I think it is pretty cool that Illinois is now a legal gambling state, and I. I'm kind of surprised uh, Texas is not. I, I, I'm surprised you guys don't have that down there. All right, next one. Would you take $10 million if a snail was after you, always knew where you were, and had the sole mission of getting to you? If it touches you, you die. Is it worth it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I. Any proposition that's going to make me die, money's not worth that. <laughs> I'd rather earn my $10 million for what I'm doing now than, okay, let me, 
on the hope chance I could get I could get ten million dollars. Oh, at the same time, I could also die because a snail wants to go after me. No, <laughs> I, I would not take that proposition. I mean, it's an interesting concept. It's a it's something interesting to think about, but I would not uh, take that bait one iota. No, I'd rather earn ten million dollars for what I'm doing rather than. Uh, on the whole chance of getting ten million dollars, I get got by a damn snail. N- no, no shot, <laughs> no shot. Um, <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question, though. What is one viral slash super popular song you have heard that you wish you could eliminate? For me, it's this sped up Abba song from TikTok. Oh man. Well, for a while the. Uh, fancy like uh song from Walker Hayes was one for me that I was kind of getting tired of. They were playing that shit almost every single commercial break through the football season last year. I was like, please, can we put a halt on this? Can we delete, 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 delete? Yes. <laughs> oh man. Uh, did he watch MLB Field of Dreams game last year? If so, should it be a yearly thing and should the teams in it change? Yes, it did. Um, I, of course, I, I was not going to miss seeing the White Sox embarrass the Yankees on national television. Sorry, Issa. Uh, but yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big White Sox fan, so it was pretty cool to see that. The entire presentation with Kevin Costner at the beginning, it was awesome. I think, honestly, that Field of Dreams special was one of the best uh, televised uh, sporting events since we've been in this pandemic era, and that was pretty, pretty fun. Uh, Do they switch it up every year? I wouldn't have a problem with that. Um, Just as long as I don't have to see the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Cincinnati Reds, then we're good. Um, What is a must-see summer movie for you this year, even if you haven't seen it yet? I got to see what's out there. Honestly, Mike... I'll tell everybody as they're listening to this right now. Um, for me, I have I can't recall the last time I've been to a movie. Um, besides, I did go to movies a few weeks ago. Excuse me. There hasn't been a movie that I've been to that I was like highly anticipated. That's what I wanted to say. I can't recall the last like movie that was like touted. That like I had to go see that. Like, I haven't had that in a while. Um, I have gone to see movies at theaters, but when I have went to them, they're, like, big time hit and miss. Uh, especially Jurassic, the latest Jurassic Park movie. I, I'm not alone in seeing that. <laughs> uh, honestly, I I want to see Thor, Love Thunder. It's, it wasn't a movie that I was, like, like super marketed out for, but uh, I heard it's pretty good. That'd be pretty cool. Um, let's see. As I'm looking down the list of what's available right now. this The movie industry is really taking a hit um, for me, especially during COVID. Like, I've been more interested in watching older movies than I am clinging out to the newer ones. Either the topics are not interesting uh, to me or the uh, the casting either. And a lot of the popular stuff now you see is coming off of Netflix and Hulu and all this other shit. And I don't have the money to pay for all these streaming (laughs) services and stuff like that. So I can't really catch up to it. If I have to pick one, 
that's out right now is probably Thor because I am a fan of the Marvel universe and I I, I love me some Marvel movies. Uh, but also at the same time, you know me, I, I'm I'm a sucker for good movies from the past and stuff like that. And um, it's not rare without seeing me on a weekend watching Forrest Gump because that movie has been popped up on TV a lot recently. And I watch that anytime it's on. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, same thing goes with Lion King and... They always share the Friday movies, which is always good. Uh, I liked all three of them. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I got to go with Thor is my answer to that question. All right, next one. Um, last one here from Mikey says, do you listen to the ads on Jim Cornette's show? You should because they're crazy. But if so, what's the craziest off-the-rails ad read from Jim that you can remember? Well, it wasn't a particular effort, particular brand. I do recall one time where Cornette was doing a rant on um, Jelly Nutella. And I believe it was one of his matches he had on Dark with Jimmy Havoc during the early seasons. AW and Cornette just went off on this dude. And this is before we got like the pockets and. Michael knocking, knocking the fuck off. Like he, he's doing his one of his uh, corny rants on um, Jelly and Nutella, and writes the hit rants over. He goes into a an ad read for uh, Stephen P. News. <laughs> so uh, that that one is the one that pops me all the time. I know recently he's been doing more um, ad reads on his podcast before transitioning to different matches now. For full disclosure, I don't listen to full length editions of Jim Cornette's podcast because I don't have the time for that. Uh, I I usually consume Jim's uh, content via YouTube and the YouTube videos that he shares. But uh, if you guys haven't checked out any of Jim Cornette's podcasts, the drive through, um, the Jim Cornette drive through, or the Jim Cornette experience, you're definitely missing out because. Uh, I'm not the only one out here spewing the, the truth and the gospel about AEW. So, um, Cornette is definitely the guy for you to check that out. So, appreciate the questions this week, Mike. Thank you, as always. Um, last batch of questions this week comes from Nathan Great at Psycho Nagiri. He says, what kind of shelf life do you think maximum male models have? Um, well, Nate, I think it has a shelf life as long as it wants to be. Um, I'll be honest with you, it's exceeded my expectations. I, I wasn't sure about the concept when I first heard about it, but if anybody can make chicken salad out of chicken shit, it's, um, Max Dupree. <laughs> and I, like I said, the last couple of weeks when they've been doing these uh, rollouts and these walk, walk shows, <laughs> um, it was funny, man. I was laughing my ass off on Friday with the whole tennis collection thing. I thought, I thought that was great. Uh, so it looks like the crowd's eating it up. Uh, for me, I, I've like so far past of what Twitter thinks about wrestling and what's over or not on Twitter because Twitter is so fleeting and so fickle and just wishy-washy and it's like you guys are just saying shit just to get likes and retweets you're not making any stance you're not making any factual points it's just 
rhetoric after rhetoric after rhetoric after rhetoric. And it's like, there's no substance to anything that's posted on wrestling Twitter when it comes to what's over or what's not over. So for me, I could tune out Twitter and just enjoy maximum male models for what it is. Is it something that's going to last for years and years? Probably not. If it's something that's two months long or three months long, cool. <laughs> Um, I want the best, of course, for uh, Max Dupree, and I say this as I say this all the time too. Having TV time as opposed to having no TV time is the end all be all in this game. Uh, I rather have Mansoor and Mace actually doing something and having them come out with whatever uh, fashion designs they're going to do for this week than sitting catering or being stuck on main events. So you got to pick and choose what you like. If it's not your cup of tea. That's cool. If you like it like I do, I think it's cool. As far as its shelf life, I think that'll play it out itself. So, um, this is a question here. What made you fall in love with wrestling? Honestly, I, I think what made me fall in love with wrestling was just the energy that I got from JR when I first started watching wrestling in 1998. And as a kid, I'm sure my parents could relate if they're listening to this. Like, I would like put on like my own mini shows with the action figures they would give me, and I would like call matches and stuff like JR and Slobberknocker and Stop It a Moho, Stone Cold, Stone Cold, Stone Cold. I, I would like have like pay per views, and I like, uh, put on many shows with the action figures where I would do the actual match lineup that happened on a pay-per-view for the WWF. Uh, I had the games like um, the WCW games on Nintendo 64 and the WWF, No Mercy and stuff like that. And um, I, I just think the energy of pro wrestling is something that I just think probably maybe something in the water Maybe it's something that the man upstairs passed down on to me, but for whatever reason, pro wrestling has been my favorite escape in my life outside of music. And what 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 made me fall in love with wrestling is, you know, getting to see The Undertaker for the first time, getting to hear Jim Ross call the match. And I, I, I've been consistent. I've been asked this question before, but, like, when it comes to dream jobs... I either wanted to be the next Jim Ross or the next Glenn Fry. I wanted to be uh, a guitar player for a rock band and travel around the world or uh, be behind a booth and call wrestling matches. That's all I wanted to do in my life. And, um, yeah, I, what <laughs> wrestling has always been there for me for the good times and bad times. And, I'll take this visit for granted. I'm very, I, I take, I have a lot of humbleness and I take a lot of pride in the fact that I can make a living, you know, pay for what I have to pay for rent wise and stuff like that off of professional wrestling. I'm very grateful that this is my life and this is the career that I've chosen. And wrestling's always been that for me. Wrestling has always been number one to me. And it's the first thing I fell in love with outside of music, of course. And it's it's something that will never go away. That love that I have for wrestling as a kid will never go away. While I may not be a fan, 
fan uh, like I used to be as a kid or even as a teenager because uh, my views on the industry has changed a lot uh, over the years and also just the fan um, the fan aspects and dynamics in wrestling today is not the same anymore so I don't look at myself as just a wrestling fan um, anymore uh, but for me I will always love wrestling uh, wrestling has been everything to me I don't care if we got through good times or bad times I don't care about the uh, stuff that we heard outside of the ring or outside of the arenas that's not my responsibility or my place to speak on those type of things for me, wrestling has been everything to me. And wrestling has been my biggest mental escape that I can ever have. And um, trust me, <laughs> I love wrestling with all my heart. I don't love being a wrestling fan because I don't know what is a wrestling fan in 2022 anymore. It's not fun in that aspect. But the love and care and passion that I have for wrestling ever since I was a kid and I started watching this stuff in 90, 1998 has never gone away and it never will go away. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I haven't instilled into me. Wrestling's been there, the one constant in my life for me outside of music and my family, of course. But wrestling is everything to me. And I think you guys know that too. So that's that's a great question. Um, <laughs> if you could make a wrestler from scratch, what would they look like? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. Do you want the JBL answer or do you want my answer? Because <laughs> if I could make a wrestler from scratch, man, I'll give you two answers. This one may surprise you. I'll go with the JBL answer first and Randy Orton, of course. But if you have to ask me if I could pick anybody out of scratch and that'd be my image of what a wrestler would be, it's Nick Aldis. If I had to pick a wrestler out of scratch, it would be the national treasure in the real world's champion, Nick Aldis. There you go. <laughs> By the way, former guest of the PW show, uh, I would love to have Nick uh, come on the Hoots podcast and talk shop because uh, I've always been a fan of his work and I admire his work. And he's just a good dude, too. So uh, I love to pick his brain about the NWA and stuff like that. And, yeah, if I had to pick a wrestler from scratch, like, it, it would definitely be someone like Nick Aldis or carries himself like Nick Aldis who could – go in the ring and go on the microphone and carry himself with some class and dignity. You know, maybe I feel like I was born in the wrong era because I would probably be like marking out for guys like Nick Bockwinkle and, you know, <laughs> Kurt Henning when he was in the AWA and that era, the uh, mid-70s and 80s and stuff like that. Like, I, <laughs> I maybe I was born in the wrong era, but... um. Yeah, I, I'd probably say Nick Aldis one. If I had to pick uh, what I think a wrestler would look like, it would be Nick Aldis, Randy Orton, or maybe Roman Reigns, so you could add that to the list. So that would be my pick. But great question this week. It's always from uh, Chris 
Uh, Nate and Mike, as always, if you want to participate in the Good Brothers Q&A session, all you have to do is hit me up on Twitter at Media or the Hoots Podcast at gmail.com. So sit back, relax, strap it down. When we come back, I will uh, get to this week in WWE and also get to our G1 preview and what the hell is wrong with AW right here on the Hoots Podcast. Uh, yes, sir. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Hoots Podcast. Time to talk about what happened this week. In dub dub e, um, I t- we talk about this a lot in the Who's podcast and recognizing like where we are in the journey towards certain pay per views, especially the big four pay per views. You have weeks like this where you have a couple tile changes in different shows. You have different things happen on this show and that show, but I look at this week in WWE as a plot point week. Especially for Raw SmackDown, um, especially. Um, not that Raw or SmackDown was bad this week or anything like that. But for this segment this week, I really want to talk about the road to SummerSlam. And uh, we do have some audio that we're going to play for the podcast this week for you guys. And that's really what I want to keep my focus on this week for the road to, w, uh, for road to SummerSlam. Because that's what's very important right now as we get closer and closer to SummerSlam. Uh, I, I, again, I tell you, um, I really enjoy the fact that SummerSlam is on a Saturday. I I have been enjoying the Saturday pay-per-views and getting to rest <laughs> a little bit on Sundays. Uh, so I'm kind of excited to see where this goes. But um, we do have some stuff that we got to talk about. And... Um, we're going to start off with here from SmackDown with a little bit of audio um, from our tribal chief. Tri- uh, Roman Reigns came back to SmackDown this week, and he had some interesting comments, comments for his uh, opponent at SummerSlam, the Beast, Brock Lesnar. So let's hear from the tribal chief, and then we'll get a little bit more into what happened this week in WWE. As long as God wakes me up, I can handle anything. Woke up in the compound, went to the private gym, got that workout in, jumped on the private private jet, made my way here. A great day. I'm breathing. I'm healthy. I'm happy to be at work. I'm happy to be on my show, SmackDown. And then I see my wise man, my special counsel, and he looks like this. Put it out. Come on. Now tell us what's wrong with you. I I love you, my tribal chief. And I love the Usos. problem and that problem's name is Brock Lesnar my tribal chief 
You are the GOAT. You are the greatest of all time in an era where no one can hold on to a championship. You, sir, hold on to both heavyweight championships. The undisputed champion, 600 plus days, heading into seven, heading into eight, heading into nine, heading into a thousand day reign. The longest reigning champion of the past 35 years. But here's the problem. Brock Lesnar doesn't respect that. Brock Lesnar has one last chance against Roman Reigns. Brock Lesnar has one last match against Roman Reigns. And when Brock Lesnar is cornered, that's when the beast is at his most dangerous. I know this for 20 years. Who was 24 years old and wasn't supposed to beat The Rock for the title? Brock Lesnar. Who, who went up against the 21 and 0 Undertaker at WrestleMania and wasn't supposed to conquer the streak? Brock Lesnar. And who has his back against the wall right now, my tribal chief? Who is in a do or die situation? Who becomes an obscure reference in history, a footnote in the annals? In the chronicles of the tribal chief Roman Reigns, or who ends this all? Brock Lesnar. I'm scared. I'm scared because what's going to have to happen now is that we're going to have to see Roman Reigns go savage. We're going to have to see a violent Roman Reigns. We're going to have to see Roman Reigns smash Brock Lesnar because pinning Brock Lesnar down for three seconds is one thing, but putting him down for ten seconds in his final title match in a last man standing match is a whole different story. So you're going to have to show up on the 30th at SummerSlam and be a Roman Reigns like never before. The greatest performance in the history of Roman Reigns' career. The most violent, the most diabolical, the most dangerous, a beast slayer, a conqueror conqueror, the goat of all goats. So that they say at the end of the match, ladies and gentlemen, you're a winner, the ultimate needle mover, the head of the table, the tribal chief, in God mode himself. Roman Reigns. That's right. Throw the ones up. Throw the ones up. Throw it up. <laughs> oh man, Paul Heyman, what a trip! <laughs> Before we get into the matches that we have set up for SummerSlam this week, I found a funny clip from. <laughs> Raw this week that just absolutely popped me. Uh, it was supposed to be it was uh, Street Profits and R Truth against the Usos and Omas. Beforehand, we're still trying to figure out who's going to be the mystery tag team partner. Uh, my, not mystery tag team partner, mystery special guest referee for the Usos Street Profits match at SummerSlam. And R Truth tried to pitch his case. Let's hear what Truth had to say. 
Oh. And he's got the shirt. Certified. We saw us were joking. He got a referee shirt over there. Hey, 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 hey. Let me show y'all. Look, I'm just auditioning. Let me be the referee for SummerSlam. Watch my three count. Watch this. I'm going to do it like this. One, two, three. Ooh, Get out of there. That was sick. You know what? Look. Holding. Charge. Look. What if, what if one of y'all got thrown out of the ring, who's? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to count them out. One, two, look y'all, three, he ain't come back in yet, four, he's about to lose the match, five, we got to do something, six, we gonna do something, seven. (laughs) It's Steve, we got to do something, part to just... Oh man! <laughs> uh, I put it on Twitter, and it's so true, man. Our truth Hall of Fame speech is gonna be legendary. Oh my god! <laughs> There's nothing this guy can't do on television. It's not funny, man. Oh my god! Um. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we we got to do something. He's not going to make it. <laughs> oh, there's some waterfall. Hey, I need to keep my focus. Hey. <laughs> oh, man, I love doing this show. All right. So, <laughs> Uso's the Street Profits probably got one last go around here, right? We got to figure out not only who's a special guest referee is, but will this be a match that uh, has stipulations attached to it? Will it be a no disqualification match? Does it become a ladder match? Like, what's the scenario? Who's the mystery guest referee? That's what we need to figure out. Love to hear your guys' suggestions. All right. A couple other things I want to mention really quick before we get to the SummerSlam card. Uh, a couple solid matches from Raw this week. Um... Uh, for example, AJ Styles and Ezekiel against uh, Tommaso Ciampa and The Miz. Uh, enjoyed that thoroughly. Uh, Miz is still trying to convince everybody he has massive balls. He can thank his wife for bringing that up. Uh, again, I'd like to remind everybody, put some respect and give your flowers to Carmella this week. Uh, this girl deserves all the props in the world. And she's uh, making up and get, uh, maximizing her TV time. You know, it's one thing to... Act like you're the biggest thing since sliced bread. <coughs> Sasha Banks. Um, and there's another thing of actually showing up and doing the work. Can we say that Bianca Belair is the real boss of WWE? Not just the EST? I just like to throw that out there. Also on the program, Brock Lesnar absolutely molly whopping uh, Otis and Chad Gable, man. Holy moly. Those boys got fucked. They got, they got knocked the fuck out. Otis, the, the poor dude got FI through the announce table like he was absolutely nothing, man. My lord. Uh, Finn Balor and Rey Mysterio, a match that you want to see. Uh, go check it out. Uh, very good stuff there. Um, 
Finn Balor won that match with the coup de gras. Judgment Day trying to recruit Dominic. Very interesting. Right before Rey Mysterio's uh, 20th anniversary at uh, Madison Square Garden coming up in a couple weeks. Very, very interesting. Um, I got a question for you guys here, too. Don't you notice that Becky Lynch as a heel sounds more and more like Charlotte Flair as the weeks go by? I know that may outrage the people, and as, as somebody like me who's a big Becky Lynch fan and my favorite horsewoman out of the four, I always found this interesting, this paradox in life in a lot of times where we see people that maybe we don't like or pe- even people that we hate. I, I'm not a person that lives within hate. Uh, I don't hate anybody. I don't harbor hate towards anybody, to be honest with you. But I find it interesting that... When you get to those situations, what you hate more times than not is what you see in the mirror. What you hate is more or less a reflection of you. And it, it really got to me this week. Maybe it's because I watched the um, the A&E biographies this week, which was awesome. The other Tinker piece was awesome. I got emotional watching it. Uh, it's cool they got me on uh, camera during this Hall of Fame speech. So that was pretty cool. Uh, but outside of that, like, you know, getting to see the, the Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels uh, rivalry special and then watching uh, Dark Side of the Ring, their special on the Montreal Screwjob, more or less, more times than not, when you get into situations like this, especially in professional wrestling, especially with rivalries, more times than not, the people that you hate, hate are a reflection of you. Red Yard and Triple H. John Cena and The Rock, right? Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch. Just throwing it out there. She's carrying herself a lot like Charlotte, where she's demanding title matches now. She wants this. She wants that. She constantly complains like a little baby every time she loses. Uh... I don't know who throws more fits, uh, her or Christian, when he was in the WWE back in the day. But <laughs> I, I just find the dynamic interesting. More times than not, the people that you hate and the people you get in these blood feuds with sometimes in wrestling, more or less, are reflections of you. I just find that interesting. This is also like the main event of Raw this week. Um, Riddle and Lashley beating Austin Theory and Seth Rollins in a very fun match. Thanks to help from Dolph Ziggler. What do I see everybody saying on Twitter? Oh, this doesn't make sense. They didn't explain why Dolph Ziggler cost Austin Theory the match. I don't know. How about you wait for next week and figure that out for yourself? (laughs) But, hey, the WWE doesn't do enough cliffhangers. They don't do anything to build anything or add intrigue to the following week's episode. You hear those buzzwords all the time too, right? Like I could do an impression of Rusty Twitter for to the cows go home. You guys know the drift. You know how it is on Rusty Twitter. Oh, we have a flat. Uh, we have a um, a cliffhanger to close out Raw with Ziggler attacking Theory, but we need the answers now. And then you're going to hear on a podcast later on this week where somebody's like, oh, there wasn't enough buildup for me to buy in into a Dolph Ziggler-Austin Theory feud. 
the feud just fucking started. <laughs> can we can we hear from Dolph first before talk about the missing buildup? Everybody talks about the build. <laughs> this is something that I need to get off my chest. Can I can I do a little rant for you guys? Can I do that? So ever I try to distance myself from listening to a lot of wrestling podcasts these days because a lot of them come out with the same opinions, with the same perspectives, and the same this and that. And I, I and I'm like just like any of you. If there's any podcasts you like on any topic, you probably wouldn't want to hear the same shit over and over and over and over again. And one of the things I hear constantly on the podcasts I do listen to is about the concept of the build, right? Everybody talks about, where's the build for new stars? Where's the build for, for that? Where's the build for this? Where's the build for that? Well, the same people are saying that. I don't think they really recognize the builds of anything. Because there could be builds, and they just seep through it, through whatever lens they want to, because they have confirmation bias towards a certain promotion. Oh, WWE doesn't build stars. Oh, WWE doesn't build this. Oh, WWE doesn't build rivalries. Oh, all they do is 50-50 booking. All they do, this is that, right? Here I am, the guy who covers all the wrestling shows. I know what it looks like for the wins-loss records and how those patterns go. And I I sit here and I'm like, okay, you tell me. That there's no build-up. There's no new stars being built. There's no emphasis on younger talent. There's 50-50 booking. There's this and that. Here I am. Okay, Damien Priest is getting a uh, spotlight on TV each week. By the way, he's not a good talent. He's about to be 40 soon. Um, you talk about emphasis and not giving respect to performance that has success in other companies. Um, I think Bobby Lashley is having probably the best run of his career right now. Oh, Tommaso Ciampa is not the same guy he he was at NXT. Well, Tommaso Ciampa is getting weekly spots on television and rather have him on TV with The Miz than have him doing nothing at all. Oh, there's not an emphasis on younger talent again. Gunther, Austin Theory, Liv Morgan, Alexa Bliss, Matt Riddle. I, I, I can keep going here. Uh, <laughs> Mad Cat Moss. Whether you like these performances or not, that's that's subjective to you. But don't sit here with straight face and say there's not emphasis on building younger talent. And uh, what do I say all the time on Who's Podcast? Nothing in professional wrestling is linear. This is the most taxidermy, like wishy-washy form of entertainment out there. It's fickle. It's it's a never-ending cycle of things changing. There's no clear path. There's not a wrestling book for dummies on how to promote a wrestling promotion or sports entertainment promotion. So I I just chuckle at the fact of like all these narratives and stuff I hear on these podcasts about WWE. When I covered the product this week, is is there stuff that that they can work on and is it the greatest wrestling show of all time? No! There's no perfect wrestling show. But you know what WWE has that all these other promotions don't have? And an identity. They have their formulas. They have their reasoning. And that's the reason why I chuckle when I see tweets about hashtag WWE logic. 
Um, yeah, it's their own product. I think they have leeway and right to present their product in their own tone, in their own way. I don't know where you're going to make rhyme and logic and reason in a form of entertainment that's never made sense in the first place. But you do you, I do me, right? No emphasis on younger talent. 50-50 booking. Ma, 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 ma. Wow. (laughs) There's one thing to come out with hot takes, and then there's just openly not watching the show, but, oh, I got a podcast. I'm on a platform like ESPN or whatever. I get my hits, so I can say whatever I want without applying any substance or context to it. It's very interesting. Alright, let's look at the SummerSlam card here as we got right now. Um, we got Bobby Lashley, Austin Deere for the United States Championship. The Miz against Logan Paul. Pat McAfee versus Barry Corbin. The Usos against Street Profits with a uh, special guest referee for the uh, undisputed WWE Tag Team titles. Liv Morgan against Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And Roman Reigns against Brock Lesnar in the last man standing match for the undisputed Universal title. Sarsan's shaping up to be a pretty fun show. I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be a good card and it uh, should be a good time. Um, really quick for NXT UK today, we got a lot of interesting matches. First off, we got T.O. Man, who's a very interesting character, one of my favorites from NXT UK. He's taking on Oliver Carter. Uh, also, we got um, Amel against the beautiful Stevie Turner. And then the main event for NXT UK today is the NXT UK Heritage Cup Championship match with Noah Dar against uh, Mark Coffey of Gallus. That's going to be some good shit there. So, all in all, very interesting week in WWE. Like I mentioned a couple minutes ago, it feels like more of a plot point week more than anything else. And I'm kind of curious to see where things go um, as we get closer and closer to SummerSlam. So that's my thoughts. What was your thoughts on WWE this week? Which show did you think was better? I thought Raw this week was a better show than SmackDown. So that's just my opinion. All right, folks, that is what happened this week in WWE. Welcome back, everybody, to the Who's Podcast. One more second to do here before we get to our main event of the show. Time to talk about NJPW presents the G1 Climax 32 tour coming up starting on Saturday, July 16th, which will conclude in the Nippon Budokan on August 18th, which will be a Thursday this year. We're about to endure on a 33-day tour of 20 shows in 33 days. We have four blocks of performers. We have seven performers in each block, which makes it 28 wrestlers. The winner of the G1 Climax, for those who have never watched G1 before, will get their shot at the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship at Wrestle Kingdom. Earlier this morning, or late last night in my case, uh, we had the press conference for the G1 Climax Tournament. So before I give my thoughts on the tour itself and my predictions, I want to play a little bit of audio from this morning's G1 Climax press conference. And we're going to start off with somebody who's in the D block, 
a uh, man who wasn't able to make it uh, due to travel issues, the one and only El Fantasmo. Enjoy. It's me, the newest heavyweight, the man with the plan, and the golden tan, ELP. Look at this tan, such a nice color. Look at these beefy muscles too. I've been working out lots while at home. Watch me do 50 push-ups. Do 50 push-ups. Now, 500 squats. Do 500 squats. I didn't even break a sweat. Look at Will Ospreay. What is going on here? You look like Jake Paul had slow and sensual intercourse <laughs> with the abominable snowman. Speaking of abominable, what's up, Finley? Glad to see you back. Juice is here looking hard as expletive, as usual, my man. Big Huge looks like a wet rhinoceros fart. <laughs> Speaking of farts, Yoshihashi, you look as if you have smelled one. Last but not least, Shingo, apparently you do not know what ELP stands for. I will tell you. Extremely long phallus. I guess it does make sense why you don't know what that means. Thank you for your time. See you all in Sapporo. All right, that's El Fantasmo. <laughs> Uh, let's hear from Zack Sabre Jr. I'm usually in quite a jovial, playful manner at this kind of thing, but I'm actually bloody irate because once again, this company is treating me like an absolute dickhead. This is the largest G1 in history. And I'm the winner of the largest New Japan Cup in history. But you guys are so desperate huh, for one of these old bastards to win it once again. Obsessed with the old guard. Well, I'm going to win the G1 out of spite to each and every one of you dickheads. And you're probably thinking, well, Zack Sabre Jr. and the leader of the Chode Club, Jay White, is going to be quite a strange Tokyo Dome main event. And you're right. It would be quite a strange Tokyo Dome main event. Except when I win the G1, I won't be waiting until the bloody Tokyo Dome. Because I couldn't give a flying shit about baseball. Especially the Tokyo Dome. Instead... I'm going to take my title match in the UK in October when New Japan finally return. And then also, there will not be a bloody briefcase. Huh? These divs might carry around a briefcase like an absolute wanker, but I will not carry a briefcase. There will be no defences. I'm going to go direct to the UK with my title match and finally become IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Huh? And then maybe finally, finally, this company will be forced to promote me. And I'm going to insist on all the advertising materials that all posters are just a picture of my chin and absolutely nothing else. All right, that's Zack Sabre Jr. Zack Sabre Jr. represented the C block of New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax Tournament. Last piece of audio we'll play here 
uh, for the press conference is Will Osprey. He is in the D block. Usually someone who's pissed me off this much by ducking me and taking my property, I flip this table, I slap Shingo, and I come over there and batter you. Then all you Bullet Club boys would go, oh, no, don't do that, don't do that, and then I fucking batter them. But I'm in a good mood. I'm all right. Because there's a calendar marked, mate. And by the end of that G1, I'm going to have my hands on you. I'm going to have my hands on the belt. I'm going to bash that fucking thing over your cunting skull. Yeah, that's right. You can, mate, you can do that tough guy. Like, ooh, me, I'm right over it. You ain't going to do fucking nothing. Sit down, fucking shut up. The best thing about all this, the best thing about all this, is this isn't a bag. Best of Super Juniors, done it. New Japan Cup, done it. Junior Heavyweight Championship, done it. Never Openweight Championship, done it. United States Championship, got it, even though I ain't got the belt. And I've done the World Championship. This is the last one. The G1's coming to the Billy Goat. Do we have a more fitting block for the G1 than the D block for one of the biggest dicks in professional wrestling? Get your mind out of the gutter and talk about, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> uh, the douche canoe himself, Will Osprey, in the deep block. So, let's get into this. So, coming, like I said, coming up on Saturday is the start of the G1, and we have four blocks. In the A block, we got Kishikaka, let's start that again. In block A, we have Kazusa Okada, Jeff Cobb, Jonah, Filthy Tom Waller, Lance Archer, Bala Fale, and Toriano. In block B, we got Jay White, Tomohiro Ishii, Sanada, Taichi, Tabataga, The Great Okan, and Chase Owens. In block C, we got Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsuya Naito, Saxe Jr., Kenta, Eve, Hiroki Goto, and Aaron Hernare. In block D, we have Will Ospreay, Shino Takagi, the aforementioned El Fantasmo, Juice Robinson, Yoshihashi, David Finley, and Yujiro Takahashi. Now, I... Did a more extensive G1 preview, which will be a podcast you'll hear on the Heat Pod, uh, which is aka Referee Tony S's uh, podcast. Uh, you'll hear a more extensive breakdown of my thoughts of the G1 as a whole uh, on that podcast, which should be dropping tomorrow. I am recording this on a Thursday afternoon, so by the time you're listening, it's probably already out. You can check it out for yourself. Uh, but in that preview, I gave particular names and themes for each block this year in block a it's Haas and foreigners think about it you got jeff cobb jonah lance archer and ballad Fale. but also you got four performers performing in the g1 for the first time like tom lawler and jonah uh in block b is mind games think about this jay white ishii sonata taichi uh, Tama Tonga, The Great Okan, Chase Owens, The Ultimate Troll, Mind Games, Block C, Barn Burners, or as I like to call it, the Big E uh, block, because there's going to be a lot of slapping meat and forearm exchanges in this block. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsu Naito, Saxaber Jr., Kenta Evil, Hiroki Goto, and Aaron Hernare. You have old rivalries being renewed. You have former champions. You have um, former uh, stable mates. 
Um, you got people with chips on their shoulders like Aaron Hernare. You have receipts that have to be dealt within this block uh, specifically. And I think this one is going to be the most riveting one from a storytelling point of view. And uh, this one probably will provide the most five-star matches out of the perspective blocks on this tour. And then Block D, I said the Wild Wild West. <laughs> and you just heard audio from two of the guys in that block. It will Osprey and El Phantasmo. Look, anything can happen in this block. Like I said on, on Tony's podcast this week. Like, you have Will Ospreay, Shingo, Elfant, Tasmo, Juice Robson, Yoshihashi, Dave Finley, and Yudro. None of these guys have anything to lose. Will Ospreay and Shingo are prospective champions. Um, this is Elfant, Tasmo's first G1 as a heavyweight in New Japan Pro Wrestling. This is Dave Finley's first G1. Juice Robson's making his return after missing the last couple. Yoshihashi is a guy that wants to smoke and dance some. Like, anything can happen. It's the Wild Wild West. Uh, these guys have no care in the world, no filter, and all hell's going to break loose. <laughs> so that that's going to be the Wild Wild West. So I made my predictions earlier in the questions about who I think will make the Final Four. Like I said, it will be Okada coming out of the A block, Ishii. Coming out of the B block, I just have a feeling that Tamatanga is going to cost Jay White his chance to make it to the Final Four. But I am going to go with Ishii to win. And then for the C block, I got Naito edging out everybody. And then I got Shingo win the D block. But guys, this is going to be a fun tour. And each event on this tour has nine matches. There's either four or five corresponding prelim tag matches before the said tournament matches. And um, there's plenty of plenty to look look forward to. I made a reference sheet for the G1. It's on my page, ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com, uh, if you want to check it out. I, I would definitely recommend you bookmarking that page because I am going to up, uh, update it with the standings and the match card orders if anything changes. Knock on wood. Hopefully we have no injuries and uh, we can have fun with this uh, tournament. So I will be covering it all the way through August 18, and you'll get exclusive coverage of the G1 Climax Tournament on ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. I believe Naito this year will be the winner of the G1 Climax Tournament. On that note, it's time to give the people what they want, what they need, what they salivate for. It's a segment. I know the Emmys just passed by, but... Maybe we'll get it next year. It's definitely Emmy-worthy. It's restaurant quality. It's otherwise known as What the Hell is Wrong with A-E-W. Let's start this off in a three, two, one. Beat your meat. Beat, beat your meat. 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 It's time for What the Hell is Wrong with AEW. Welcome 
Welcome everybody to What the Hell is Wrong with AEW, aka What Isn't Wrong with AEW. What's one thing that we should remind everybody? What could go wrong, will go wrong. Alright. I guess we should start with the biggest news item that came out of the latest edition of WCW Dynamite. Um... (laughs) Is that we got brand new tag team champions. Usually I go in order in what happened on Dynamite. But let's not waste time. Let's get into this shit. So we have the Hardly Boys. With <laughs> Brandon Cutlass back this week. Against Keith Lee and Swerve Scott. And T Taz in a triple threat tag team match. Now before I get to the, the minutia of the match. And the title change and stuff like that. I would like to play a clip from last week's edition of the Jim Cornette Experience where Jim talks about the Harley boys and their promos. And as soon as they started even trying to lean into a three-way with the other two teams before they had said it, the fans started chanting, FTR, FTR. Yes, they wanted to see Lee and Swerve against Hobbs and Starks against FTR. They didn't want to see the Hardly Boys involved in this. Oh, it's better than that. It wasn't about we want to see FTR versus one of these other teams. It was just, we prefer FTR and we're going to let you know it. Yeah, and when they were trying to say, we're the best tag team, FTR, FTR from the whole building, even their own fans have smartened up to this now. Smarmy, smug, little grinny pricks that don't look like they could whip cream with an outboard motor that are constantly trying to fucking get their friends' jobs and hold down or suppress the quality talent in the company because they don't like to get showed up. And now the fans in their own building are hooting them out of the building, chanting for a team that they don't want in this three-way tag team match. So next week, it's the Hardleys against Starks and Hobbs against Swerve and Lee. And if there was any sense involved in this booking, then the only team that would not be in the running or in contention or in consideration to win that match would be the Hardly Boys. I would put Starks and Hobbs over, but Swerve and Lee would make sense as well. But let's see who wins it. Probably the only team that shouldn't. That's what I'm betting on. Based on the way it's been booked and based on Tony's previous booking, I would actually think Heath Lee and Swerve would win the match and the belts, right? It's a tag title match. The only thing that makes me not think that is just everyone's assuming the buildup is right now towards FTR and the Young Bucks eventually meeting for all the belts. It wouldn't be a wise move to take the belts off the Bucks before then, would it? Well, no, it would not, but that's not going to be the move to begin with because I guarantee you that the next FTR and Bucks match will be the Bucks winning all the belts and the the rubber match, the two out of three. Not the team that the company's most ardent fans are chanting for in the arenas at the top of their lungs, but the EVPs that actually go home and cry and pout and complain if people don't call them the best tag team in the world. They're going to have to prove it. And since they have the power to tell the other teams that they will play along, 
I believe that's what will happen. If they have that match, the third match at one and one, the Bucks will win the rubber match and they'll win all the belts so that they can say, look, we are the greatest tag team in the history of wrestling. We got all the belts from all of these companies that don't do any big, big business anymore. That's a little bit there from Jim Cornette. And I wanted to play that because what I'm going to say next is not going to be popular or, um, yeah, it's not going to be popular and I don't have regrets saying that. So I'm going to get to this and just be upfront with you. Last night, when I saw Keith Lee and Swerve Scott win the tag team titles, I'll be honest with you guys. I shrugged my shoulders and I changed the channel. Not even before the show went off air. Not And now this is not a representation of how I feel about Keith Lee or Shane Strickland or Swerve Strickland or whatever the fuck you want to call him about them personally or as wrestlers. I enjoy both of those guys' work. But it's, again, what could go wrong will go wrong. And to have this title switch like that solves what? What 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 do we get out of that? While in the match, Swerve is teasing to hit Keith Lee with one of the tag team titles. Where am I going with this? Uh, didn't we notice that one partner stabbed another partner on NXT this week? So we hot shot taking the titles off the Young Bucks when we were supposed to get to Young Bucks and FTR. But we got to give it to Keith Lee and Swerve Scott, yet they are probably going to turn on each other. And the Young Bucks will get the titles back. So for Mr. Booker of the Year... Uh, you want to tell me why we're going to do hot potatoes with the tag titles now? Don't get wrong. I'm happy for Keith and uh, Swerve that they got titles. Good for them. I enjoyed their work. I just don't see the rhyme or reason of why that was the decision last night. Some good action. Harley boys are the Harley boys, so I try my best to mentally numb myself from uh, taking my overall view of the match based solely on what they do. But, again, what does this solve? You're going to get another match with them against Hobbs and Starks. They're going to lose again with Taz on commentary. And then Swerve is going to turn on Keith Lee and the Harley boys are going to get the tag titles back before All Out. And then what? We get our two and a half week build for our highly anticipated rematch with FTR where all the titles are on the line. I I just threw my hands up in the air. Like, I, I, I can't really say that I'm surprised, but again... Even for me, not a guy who's definitely not a Hardly Boys fan. Why in the fuck are you going to drop the titles to a team that's not going to be together for the long foreseeable future? 
Like, I'm supposed to convince myself that Swerve is really all about Keith Lee and they want to do this tag team now because they won a couple of fucking squash matches on Dark and they beat the Butcher, the Baker, and the Candlestick Maker on last week's Dynamite? Like, I'm supposed to be convinced that they're butt buddies now? Come on. Uh, so that that's the funny stuff to me about AW and their fans when they say uh, they don't insult my intelligence. Oh, speaking of insulting my intelligence, let's talk about how the show started last night on Dynamite. Wardlow, this impressive specimen, this guy who's supposed to be the next Batista, the next Goldberg, the next this guy and that guy. He is relegated to have a two-segment match with Orange Cassidy. Wardlow versus Pockets. An offhanded comment recommendation that I mentioned on last week's edition of What the Hell is Wrong with AW. So, uh, Mr. Khan, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. I do appreciate it. Uh, if you are listening, I still would like to have a conversation with you so you can explain to me what the identity is of your promotion. That's all I want. <laughs> I'll have a conversation with you and maybe you can help me better understand your product. So I went to check out Tony Khan's appearance on Busted Open, the 25-minute blowjob session from Dave uh, Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer. And nothing new. Everything is great. There's no problems. Everything's great. Tommy Dreamer acts like Tony Khan's God's gift to wrestling and wrestling fans. And they're trying to convince themselves that an opposing guy that can be the face of promotion should have a match with the company's mascot. Now, before you get to me, like, well, yeah, they have big and tall, big and small guys fight each other in WWE. Yeah, I get that. But WWE is an entertainment company. I'm talking about strictly pro wrestling, where I'm supposed to suspend my disbelief that a fucking schmuck with, who puts his hands in his pockets is going to beat up a guy like Wardlow. I, I, I'm i a casual fan. I tune into your show, and not even five minutes into the show, I'm seeing a guy who wears sunglasses does stupid little lethargic uh, kicks to the leg that don't hurt. I, I'm watching that, and I'm supposed to believe that's hurting a guy like Wardlow. A babyface versus babyface match. Where you got two schmucks in the outside and best friends. Uh, Chuck Taylor's doing his fucking chainsaw Charlie impersonation. And then you got Trent Beretta trying to remove the top turnbuckle. The serious space sports wrestling, right? We, got, we, we just have to have pockets out there. We just have to have them in title matches every week. The double down on Tony Khan's pet project, Orange Cassidy. I will never suspend my disbelief with pockets. You couldn't pay me enough money in the world to do that. Embarrassing. That Wardlow had to lower himself into being in a competitive match with Orange Cassidy. And I'm supposed to be convinced that Orange Cassidy is the main event guy in wrestling. Unreal. 
Let's speak about delusional assholes. Let's talk about Chris Jericho. Let's hear what he had to say last night. But next week you won't be able to underestimate Chris Jericho because you're not facing Chris Jericho. You're facing the pain maker. Undefeated in AEW, and that's not a lie, because much like you, Eddie Kingston, I'm not a liar either. So why am I accepting this match for the first ever barbed wire everywhere match? I'll tell you the reason why. Because this is it, Kingston. This is the final fight in the Kingston Jericho saga. And what a saga it is. But once I beat you, you can crawl back in your little hole and continue your drinking and drugging and depression and mind problems and mental issues and every other shut up and every other excuse you have. To cover the fact that deep down inside, you know you will never be at Chris Jericho's level, ever. If you want blood, Eddie Kingston, you got it. Because once again, you said every drop of blood that you caused me to shed equals one of my sins. is a tidal wave of your blood, a massive flood of your blood so large that Noah, the ark, and every animal aboard it would be jealous. If you want blood, any Kingston, you got it. Because like I said, you're not a liar. You're a loser. Kingston, Chris Jericho, in let's see if I got this right. A barbed wire everywhere match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that should be a fun one to talk about next week. Thank God Brother Carter is on the show next week. My lord. Um, <laughs> John Moxley against the Shawn Michaels of upcoming wrestlers, Kanosuke Takesha. This match that went on felt like an hour. John Moxley wins with a bulldog choke. Don't care. Didn't care one second. Shocker, somebody's bleeding in a John Moxley match. It's kind of sad in a way that John Moxley's reaching up by territory because just like them, you see one John Moxley match, you see all John Moxley matches. Fake tough guy wants to bleed, do stupid outlaw show bullshit, and just brawl on the floor and try to rip off Minoru Suzuki. Moxley, my friend, you ain't Suzuki. <laughs> he ain't fully mean. Now, I'm not going to go as far as Jim Cornette and say he's the worst wrestler in the world. But I will say that John Moxley is the most overrated wrestler in the world, and I'm not I'm not getting off that. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. Let's get some positivity. Here's something I did like from Dynamite last night. Let's hear what Christian Cage had to say. Here's the thing, Pillman. Just like Jungle Boy, you had a father. Stop him. But your father was a legend in this business. 
Legend are other people's words, not mine. In my opinion, Brian Pillman, your father was average at best. He wasn't a walking, living legend, multi-time world heavyweight champion like I am. That being said, I respect the fact that he spilled his blood, sweat, and tears in the middle of that ring. And I'm quite sure he wouldn't mind me speaking on his behalf, saying he'd be, he'd be appalled knowing his final contribution to this business was you. Luchasaurus ran through the varsity blondes. Um, Christian promos don't miss, so I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, J John Silver and Alex Reynolds. <laughs> let me let me go over this card really quick for Rampage because I just thought this was funny. Um, we got Dark Order's John Silver and Alex Reynolds against uh, the House of Black. We got Lucha Brothers against Private Party. And Jonathan Gresham against Lee Moriarty for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Oh, man. Um, yeah, nothing much to write home on that card. Maybe Moriarty and Gresham would be good, but I don't know why they're not saving it for that before Dishonor. But that's another question. Speaking of Ring of Honor, here's the other question I was teasing earlier in the show. See how we bring things full circle here in the Hoots podcast? Why is it AW? Called Ring of Honor. Why is it AW Ring of Honor? Why don't they change their name to Ring of Honor? Why would you need to change? Why couldn't you change the names of all the wrestling to Ring of Honor? You own the IP. You own the company, you, you own the logos, you own the music, your booking resembles Ring of Honor, your wrestling style in the ring resembles Ring of Honor, your promoter and booker is a Ring of Honor mark. Uh, you put your hands in so many different baskets like Ring of Honor. Why isn't All Elite Wrestling called Ring of Honor? You know what, Tony? If you are listening, I would get a better grasp of your promotion if you were just called Ring of Honor. But again, we go through this cycle every week where I can't figure out if you're WCW or ECW with this fucking dumbass barbed wire everywhere match. And then the next week you're TNA. And now here we are, Ring of Honor. Why isn't Ollie Wrestling Ring of Honor? Why can't you change the name? What is All Elite Wrestling? Does the, the, does the Elite still have that mainstream value as you think it did in 2019? I don't. This is a question out there. Something for y'all to think about. Anna J against Serena Deeb. Solid match. No complaints on my end. And I talked about the main event earlier. So, I'm looking at in AEW right now. They're on the Road and build up towards uh, Death Before Dishonor, which is Ring of Honor's next pay per view on July 23rd in Lowell, Massachusetts. And again, another dynamite where I didn't give a fuck the majority of the show. Um, I mean, it's always great to see the great, uh, the great and sexy. I, I'm just gonna say sexy Jay Cargill. I can't even just say Waterfall. That girl's just sexy all around, man. <laughs> she is one of a kind, but. Outside of that, 
and the the Serena Deeb and the J match, which I thought was decent. This show's not good. <laughs> it don't give me this long oh Moxley to catch the match. Like it served no purpose. And, and I'm really supposed to believe that Takeshi announced the next biggest star in wrestling. It was a generic New Japan style match, and Moxley's ripping off Suzuki, so I was not impressed. So, on that note, that is what the hell's wrong with AEW this week. Alright, folks, we're going to put a ribbon on the bow on this week's edition of the Hoops Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure to check out my appearance on referee Tony S.'s podcast aka the heat pod which drops tomorrow and uh you can check out their shows at the heat pod make sure to follow referee tony at referee tony s you can follow me on twitter and instagram if you like at josh Lopez media make sure to bookmark pro wrestling also make sure to leave us a four or five star review and rating on apple Podcasts if you use uh apple Podcasts for your listening pleasures also um you know as always we're always open to suggestions and feedback on stuff you guys like or dislike about the podcast. Uh, Brother Carter should be back from his hiatus next week, so that should be a lot of fun. And um, another fun episode's in the books. Always remember, folks, be the authentic product that is yourself. And remember, nobody dictates the pace of your life but yourself and the man upstairs. I love you guys. Enjoy the start of the G1, and have a wonderful weekend, and we'll talk to you all next week. Yes, sir.